in the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome in, in the bonus. Colin Taylor, Tyler Head, along with you on this Tuesday morning. Colin Taylor sitting in his cave in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios as it's he's dark. turned out all the lights. Yeah. I'm a, I'm one of those guys. Like, if I can work in dang near complete darkness, I would. It's awesome. I'm a natural light guy. Now. Open floor plan, natural light. I, I, Space entertain. I, I will say I do that at my apartment a lot yep. because we do have a good amount of light that comes through like the patio windows and stuff like that. So I do like turn out all the lights quite a bit, especially when you have like the TV on because that yep. light produces a lot of light itself. So I get it. It's just funny because like it looks even darker looking in this way because I have you lights have on two, in here. You have lights on and there's like glass that darkens it probably. Yeah. So it's m- maybe not as dark as it appears to be. No, it's not. Uh, it's really funny, like, when I do 12 to 3, and Jay will come in at, like, 2.45 to prepare for his 3 to 6 show, and he's working on one end of it, and I'm working, and I'm recording on another. Right. He'll, like, come in and, like, turn on all the lights and make sure it's, like, the way he likes yeah. it while Jay likes, up. Jay likes to see everything. Yeah. Whereas me, it's like, my computer emits light. We're good. Um. That's how it works. I just, I prefer like that. And when I'm in my office, it's natural light and I have a ring light. Okay. That. Are you an influencer now? Yeah. It's, it was a Christmas gift for my parents because they were like, we hate watching you on some of these shows that you do because you're so poorly lit. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And they're like, buy a ring light. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. They're like, buy a ring light. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. We're going to buy you a ring light. And by the end of it, um. I, they just got me one for Christmas. Well, you know. Yeah. If they're going to give it to you, right? Yeah. If they're going to pay for it. it. I mean, it was probably $15, $20, but yeah. Um, well, if you ever want to become like a makeup guru, you have the light ready to go, right? Oh, yeah. If you want makeup tutorials, I got you covered. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, Tuesday, about halfway through the week, uh, still looking back on what happened this past weekend. Um, <laughs> Oregon, right? <laughs> Oregon put out a video last night, early this morning. I don't remember when exactly it was. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. I saw it at 5.30. It. You saw it at 5.30. So it I came out. Well, they're also three hours behind. So, mm-hmm. like, it I maybe could have been, like, 8 o'clock, 11 o'clock this time. I saw it this morning when I got up. Um, if you've not seen it, here's a quick little sampling of what it sounded like as Oregon put out a five-minute recap of their victory over Colorado this past weekend. The story is over. The story is over, man. Does that owe me something to you? Does that owe me something to you? Yeah, I sure as hell mean something to me. Hey, I'd like to report a crime to the murder to these ducks. Different culture. Power of unit. Different brotherhood. A lot happening there. Uh, that is Dan Lanning asking if the O means something to you. Sure as hell means something to me as it shows Colorado players 
cleating the O at the center of Austin Stadium. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what player it was on Colorado um, saying, I'd like to report a crime to the murder of these ducks, uh, as well as other trash talk that you will see at the beginning of this video before a 42-6 to blowout victory for Oregon. What did we talk about with Lane Kiffin yesterday? If you're going to talk that talk. Got to walk the walk. You got to walk the walk. And here's the thing. Most of that probably gets said during a pregame anyway. Sure. At any school. Of course. The camera's just not on it. Yes. And. Similar thing to Dan Lanning's comments in the locker room that everybody knows about now. Oh, they're out there for clicks. We're out there for wins. Like. Everybody says that kind of stuff. There just happened to be a camera recording Dan Lanning saying it, which is why we all now know what he said. The problem, too, is the Colorado people said that on camera. Like, Colorado players were looking at the camera. (laughs) At the camera. I'm sure it was an Oregon staffer with a, you know, oh, Nike pullover on that was recording them, and they specifically looked at the camera and said these things. Right. It's like, all right. You know this can come back to bite you, right? Right. Like that's the thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk it, talk it. I am all for it. Sure. I I mean, you like wrestling. I enjoy smack talk as much as anybody. Like if you're gonna talk it, I am all for it. Sure. Talk it. But when the payment comes due, not that you have to win the game, don't get blasted forty two to six or whatever yes. that score was. Don't look like a completely different team that you don't belong on the field with. That's the thing. When you look at Colorado, of course, coming into the season, they were only projected to win three games. They were, you know, three touchdown underdogs to TCU in week number one. Like, they have certainly exceeded a lot of people's expectations through these first couple weeks. But, uh, again, us that have watched a lot of college football over the years could see the cracks in their foundation. Uh, They need to call our friends at Candy Foundation Specialists to fix that, I guess. Um, we could see where issues might arise once they played a really good team, which is what Oregon was. So I can understand the players having confidence coming into the game, Yeah. but I feel like even they should have known it was not going to be a walk in the park. Like, Not that the first couple of games were walk in the park. They had to go into overtime with Colorado State the week for a, a very poor Colorado State team, I might add. like They had to know this kind of thing was coming at some point. Oregon has a 67% blue chip ratio. Okay. That is better than Notre Dame, Florida, Miami, Penn State, Michigan, Southern Cal, and Auburn. On par with Oklahoma and Texas. Oregon and Texas are about 70% to Oregon's 67. So about one player. Pretty good. According to the 24-7 talent composite rankings. That makes Oregon the 10th most talented team in college football. Sounds about right. I'm still scrolling. Oregon, not Oregon, Colorado, Mm -hmm. is the 35th most talented team, which is better than I initially thought it was going to be. Now, that is based on recruiting rankings. Transfer portal rankings. Transfer portal rankings. So, like, what we value these guys before they touch the field at Colorado. Independent of coaching. Yes. Now, you brought up a really good point right before we came on here where 
obviously a lot of very talented four or five star guys, guys like Travis Hunter, obviously they're out there at Colorado as well as, as many others that don't get talked about as much. But, you know, one thing that when, when you look at some of the talented players that South Carolina has on their roster is the focus on development mm-hmm. and knowing, okay, yeah, this guy was a four star, but maybe he's not quite ready to be thrown out on the field just yet. Let's develop him, get him to where we want him to be before letting him go out there and play meaningful snaps. Where in Colorado's case, and sure there is some development going on, a lot of these guys are just, because it is kind of this mixed bag of players coming from everywhere, are being thrown onto the field together to where not all of them are maybe up to par to play at that Pac-12 level just yet. When you take a gazillion transfers... Well, what was it? I mean, 60, 70 new players? Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe I mean, even more. Yeah. When you take that many, they can't all be Travis Hunter. They sure. can't all be Shadur Sanders. Uh, so, yeah, I guess when... And some of those guys are guys that weren't getting playing time at other schools, might have been talented recruits in the recruiting process, but when they got to school, it just wasn't what it needed to like they just it didn't click it didn't work so a lot of these guys are you know guys who were second or third teamers maybe scout team guys at at other power five institutions that come to colorado for a chance which i'm not begrudging anybody for that sure but it's one of those things where when you put all those guys together and you have a team made up of guys who were third stringers at a Pac-12 or an ACC or an SEC school or recruits that are good recruits but guys that might need more time and have to play early, you're seeing that in the lines of scrimmage they struggle on. Um, It's just, it's, your high-end talent is there but the depth and especially on the lines of scrimmage, um, just not good enough to compete with. You'll be able to compete with Nebraska and TCU and Colorado State but when you play when you play the big boys, and you got to go play, um, you you know Oregon, Southern Cal is the eighth most talented team. Uh, UCLA's coming UCLA's up. UCLA's coming up. Utah at the U- end of the season. Utah um, with that physical just, Utah oof. defense, that's going to be a long oh. night. Dante Moore is a good quarterback, and he did not look like a good quarterback the other day. Right, you just don't do that against Utah. Um, so. It's there. There are going to be growing pains, and I don't. I'm not saying that as a Dion hater. I think it's awesome sure. what that story is out in Colorado, but I think it's also practicality, yeah, and I gotta, also think context matters. They were going to come back down to earth yeah. eventually, and I think we finally saw that on Saturday, and we'll see how they fare taking on Southern Cal this weekend um, in Boulder. Uh, on this note, because it was a blowout victory, forty-two to six. For Oregon, and trust me, they could have scored a whole lot more yeah, points they could have they wanted their, to. They, they could have named their score. They, they took their foot off the gas in the second half. Um, and Bill and Preston were talking about uh, being a part of blowouts this morning. On the losing side, in your athletic career, did you ever experience a brutal blowout being on the losing team? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I'm I'm tra- tra- no, I'm trying to think. I'm okay. trying to think. I, I didn't play. I <laughs> No, I, I was the fat kid that didn't want to run, so I was like, I'll just write about sports in high school and... Not play them. It's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think so. No, I really can't think of any. Really? Um, we lost games, obviously. Sure. Because I was playing. But any, any team that had to play me, not great. Uh, 
No, I can't remember any any true true blowouts. Okay. To the level I I've probably blacked them out too. Like if we're gonna be completely and totally honest. Yeah. I, like with Preston, those things live on in a media guide. Sure, sure. But well, and he even brought up some from from high school. Bill brought up some when he was coaching like AAU basketball and when he played for Lexington and you know he was he was their greatest free throw shooter of all time or something uh-huh. to that effect. Uh-huh. Um, the the only one that I could think of as far as like brutal blowout losses. Uh, my sophomore year of high school, we made the team state wrestling tournament, mm-hmm. which for those that aren't familiar, like in wrestling, you have two different tournaments. You have individual tournaments where it's like individual wrestlers and different brackets and you have team tournaments where it's literally team versus team. And there's a scoring system based on how you win matches. If you win by pin, I think it's six points. Again, it's been over 10 years since I've done this. Um, you just have a pure points victory. It's three points. And I think if you have a technical victory, which is being up by 15 on your opponent, it's four points. So again, you know, as you go through your lineup, depending on how you win, you accrue points. We 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 got second in our region, and we took on Camden County in the first round. They were the top seed. Um, I think they proceeded to beat us somewhere in the neighborhood of like sixty to six. Good. One of my teammates, Jose, very technical, sound wrestler, got the lone victory for us that day. Camden County wiped the floor with us. It was not pretty. I think they went on to win the whole thing that year. Seems about right, but uh, it's yeah. one of those ones. If you get blown out, you want the other team to like. Sure, you can at least say, "Hey, they at least they were the champion." Yeah, right? at least they were like the runner-up or the champion or whatever. Like, um, but, but we, our team was kind of that group of like ragtag misfits. Like some of us were good at some things, other of us were good at other things. Like we weren't like this cohesive unit of being great at one thing together. You were like the bad news bears or like the little giants. Yeah. And it was a fun run, obviously going to state, but yeah, we got exposed real quick. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like blowouts that I've covered where it's like you knew from the jump. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen a few. I mean, there's been a couple in football, Uh, Tennessee in basketball. I was about to say Tennessee basketball. That was just a terrible matchup from a phys like, that South Carolina team just wasn't ready for that. Right. Um, there's been a couple in baseball where, but like baseball is a weird one because like once it gets to a certain point, you don't put your ace, you don't put your stud relievers in. Sure. Um, You're just like, all right, how do we get these outs and get out of here? Right. Uh, so that's one where I've I've been in the press conference of a couple blowouts here or there, which is right something. Well, if you can think of one, let me know as the show goes along because. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's one you're not thinking of right now. Oh, trust me, I will go through my rolodex of games that I've, my thousands of games that I've covered to find a, a well, blowout. One game that you could definitely say was a bit of a blowout last year was Carolina taking care of Tennessee. They'll get set for a rematch this weekend. Look ahead. How do you slow down Joe Milton? Let's talk about that coming up. You're listening to in the bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on the game. The bonus with Colin with Taylor, Colin from, Taylor Gamecock from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. too um uh you know last year uh, they were more physical than us um they competed harder than we did uh, on that night um you know we didn't handle the uh, the environment the right way 
Uh, those were lessons that you know had to continue to move forward with us as a, as a program. But uh, you know, last year has nothing to do with this week. Last week has nothing to do with this week. You know, the previous play has nothing to do with the next one. Man, we got to focus on our preparation and and, uh, and be ready to have a great competitive spirit for for four quarters. Welcome back into in the bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head on this Tuesday morning. That of course was the voice of Josh Heupel, head coach for Tennessee, talking about last year's game and then focusing on this weekend's matchup between the Volunteers and the Gamecocks. I imagine Heupel's probably going to bring up last year's game quite a bit this week leading up to Saturday. I don't, I don't think they've forgotten about that by any means. When we're, when we're on break again, can we listen to that again and just count the coaching cliches? Oh, there's a lot. In it? I, I listened to his whole press conference yesterday. It was about 13 minutes, and he's a, he's a cliche machine. I'll say that much. That sounds about right. Beamer can get a little coach speak sometimes, but I think he does give you. He gives more than I'd say. 90% of the coaches give. Which, a moment of appreciation. I feel like a lot of coaches have come out of their shell more recently. Yep. I know Awful Announcing put out the article yesterday about like college football's entering its like professional wrestling era, which I'm very much here for, where coaches aren't afraid to fly off the handle a little bit. We yep. talked about Ryan Day yesterday. Um, uh, uh, Coach Dickard out at Wazoo was mad at Lee Corso. Like, Which it, old man are we getting at, yeah, mad at today? I, I know. Pick, pick your old man to be angry at, I guess. So um, coaches aren't as quite as buttoned up as they used to be. No, I appreciate that too. Well, and like, because it helps in marketing. It helps in getting your program out there, all that stuff. Sure. Um, so... It helps, but yes, uh, the coaching cliches were out in full force in that interview, and I wonder how much Josh Heupel thinks about that game. I'm sure it keeps him up at night because they win it, and oh, they were in prime position. They go to the playoff, like they go because they weren't going to go to the SEC championship game. They right. would have been eleven they, and one. They're they, going to the playoff. They had essentially a ticket punch because they'd lost to Georgia a couple weeks before. 27 to 13, which they'll say the game was closer than it was. It wasn't really, but no. still a loss to the number one team in the country isn't on the completely road. detrimental yeah. on the road. So they were still in a good position with their number five going into Something like South that, Carolina yeah. game. So, yeah, they, they were in prime position where they could have sat out of the SC championship game and slid right into the college football playoff. Of course, they were going to annihilate Vanderbilt the, the, the next week. All they had to do was come in and beat South Carolina, and we obviously know what happened there. So yeah, for Josh Heupel, who what that would have been his was last year's second or third year. I think that was his ooh, that's a good question. Second year? I think it was his second year. Yeah. You know, he would have been right in line with Kirby Smart taking mm-hmm. Georgia to the playoff in two thousand seventeen had he been able to accomplish that. And again, Shane Beamer and company ended up preventing that from happening. Um, you can say maybe Tennessee was overlooking South Carolina. Maybe they just weren't as prepared as they should have been and looking ahead to a couple weeks later or whatever it may be. Case in point, South Carolina absolutely ran them out of the building in Williams-Brice Stadium last year. And again, he can say that last year's game doesn't matter and it's it's not something they're concerned about. It's getting brought up a lot this week. Oh. In the program, at, uh, you know, in practice, before the game. Like, they're, they're not just ignoring what happened last year. No, and they feel... They feel something about this game. Yeah. They, if the Tennessee team feels like the Tennessee fan base, then yes, there is a lot of animosity and a lot of ill will toward 
all of this. Now, what are your thoughts on certain uniform combinations bringing an extra bit of juice? There's something to it. Something Depen- to it. Well, it depends on the history of the uniform combinations. So Tennessee is rolling out their dark mode uniforms yes. this weekend against yes. South Carolina. So obviously going to be a night game up there at Neyland Stadium. So wearing black, uh, will it be a motivating factor? I don't know. But they're definitely feeling something about it and feeling the need to add that extra layer to it. I think that, yes, I do think that's a motivational tactic that you don't necessarily need. But, yeah, you're going dark mode here. Tennessee is trying to pull out every single stop to motivate its team so that they, I don't think that they're going to overlook South Carolina, but they're going to have to do something to just make sure that this team is fired up, ready to go. Which is why which, South Carolina's like, man, I wish that was a night game. Or I wish that was a noon game. The the dark mode, it, it, it's an example of something that bothers me in, in college sports that's kind of become a, it, it was a bit, it was a worse a, a thing about 10 years ago where everybody suddenly was like, hey, we should wear black. Yep. And even if it's not in our color scheme, like I think back to, to Georgia in 2007, they did their original blackout against Auburn. Black is a color for Georgia, red and black. Like, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. But, like, you had Stanford doing blackouts. Black is not in Stanford's color scheme. Tennessee is orange and white. Like, black. Didn't Ohio State do it? Yeah, Ohio State did a couple, like, blackouts. Ohio State had those, like, stealth black uniforms that didn't even make them look like Ohio State. And, like, Tennessee is orange and white. Like, black is not in their color palette. I don't know why they feel the need to use it you know what i mean because it's cool i guess yeah uh i do not understand it i get why they're doing it i get why this is the game they're doing it i don't understand when black's not in your color scheme why we're doing it especially considering the fact they wore the orange helmets in this game a year ago Mm -hmm. it's like and look i'm i'm very superstitious when it comes to sports especially when it comes to uniforms and stuff like that I would feel like you'd want to go back to the traditional, you know, white helmet, orange tee on it, just to kind of get back to the status quo a little bit, get the get the feng shui back in your direction, right? You would think. Uh, South Carolina once wore these gray uniforms to LSU. Okay. Lost and what, never wore them again. What year was that? That was, <clears throat> I want to say 2012. Oh, yes, the 2012 game. Yeah, the 2012 South Carolina LSU game. I believe that's right. But because South Carolina, it was a weird game, but they wore gray and they never wore it again. Let's see. Oh. Yeah, they're bad. Oh, God. They're bad. Why? Yeah. Right. Well, when it's not in your color scheme, it makes it look even like black at least is somewhat of a universal color. Sure. But yeah, when when it's not in your color scheme, it's kind of weird. I want South Carolina. Now, what do you combat with? If you're South Carolina. Now, when you're the road team, it's a little bit harder. Because you only get white uniforms. You only get white uniforms. Um, do you combat it? Can you combat it? No. I don't think so. Because South Carolina, would it shock you, Tyler, if I told you I had a spreadsheet going through it, what they wore? It would not, Colin. It would not. Uh, so South Carolina has worn... White jerseys, obviously, every time they're on the road. Sure. But they've worn, they've done garnet white garnet and lost. 
Okay. Only once. White, white, black, which is kind of weird. Uh, they lost that game. White, white, garnet. They lost at Tennessee that year. Um, their standard road uniform has kind of turned into that, um, what they wore at Georgia. Mm-hmm. What is that? The I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it was white. Was it white tops? Yeah, white the, tops, and then. Um, well, if Tennessee's gonna go black from head to toe, go go stormtrooper, go white from head to toe. They're one and two in stormtrooper uniforms under Shane Beamer. I mean, losses to Georgia and Arkansas, but then they beat Tennessee or beat East Carolina in your stormtrooper uniforms. Okay, so I don't more throw, you know. Maybe throw in the garnet pants. Yes, maybe. garnet pants. Maybe black pants. Oh, black pants. Never know. Ooh. Maybe, maybe mix it up a little bit. Ooh. But uh, we'll uh, continue to preview this Tennessee matchup. Talk about how you slow down Hendon Hooker. That's coming up. Not Hendon Hooker. Joe Milton, their new quarterback, Joe Milton. And Colin will give us the Michigan perspective on Joe Milton's beginning of his college career. Let's talk about that coming up. You're listening to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. You're on a Tuesday on The Game. Also heard on 100.3, the game in Myrtle Beach, and 100.5, the game in Florence. Um, they're a good football team. Um, they've lost a couple of close ones. They played really well on the road at Georgia um, in all three phases of the football game. Lost a tough one to Carolina. This is a really good football team. Welcome back into In the Bonus. Colin Taylor, Tyler, head along with you on a Tuesday. That, again, was the voice of Josh Heupel talking about his assessment of the South Carolina football team so far through four games this season. Uh, Colin continues to inform me of meaningless Dan Ugla trivia as we go through the breaks as he is enthralled by the former Braves second baseman. Um, Dan Ugla was born in Columbia, or, yeah, he went to high school in uh, Columbia, Tennessee. Think he's a Tennessee fan? Uh, well, he went to Memphis. Well, so, you can still be a yeah. Tennessee fan and go to Memphis. Um, career 241 batting average. Career OPS of 107. Career war of 18.2. Three-time All-Star. One-time Silver Slugger. Finished 17th in the MVP voting in 2010. We need to arrange like a meeting between you and Dan. Oh, that is like, that would really floor me. I would really appreciate that. I would really appreciate that. Uh, well, regardless of whether he's a Tennessee fan or not, uh, South Carolina taking on Tennessee this weekend. Of course, you just heard from Josh Heupel there in his press conference yesterday. Coach Beamer's press conference coming up today at 1.30, uh, sponsored by Pete Alewine Pools and Spas. You'll be able to listen to it right here on the game, 107.5, the game in Columbia. Uh, and he'll uh, certainly give his preview of Tennessee this upcoming weekend, where I'm sure he'll be asked plenty about Joe Milton and what they're going to be able to do to slow him down. Now, Joe Milton is not Hendon Hooker. Correct. Hendon Hooker was probably the perfect quarterback to run Josh Heupel's system, and that was a really big reason why they were won as many games as they did last year and were in contention to college foot for the college football playoff as they rolled into Columbia with two weeks to go in the regular season last year. Now, Tennessee had its deficiencies. They were not great on defense, which again, South Carolina was able to exploit. And again, once you were able to slow down Hendon Hooker just a little bit, you were able to stay out in front of them, and that was the key to South Carolina winning that game uh, last season. Again, Joe Milton is not Hendon Hooker, and you are quite familiar with Joe Milton from his time at Michigan prior to coming to Tennessee. 
there's a reason he was never the starter for a full season up there at Michigan, right? What was your first clue? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're Tennessee, you've gone from Greg Maddox to, I don't know, Aroldis Chapman, where Hinton Hooker was incredibly cerebral, incredibly good about knowing where to go with the ball instantaneously, the perfect quarterback for that offense. The perfect quarterback for that offense. And you saw the results. I mean, mm-hmm. that that prolific style of offense. Joe Milton is good. He is going to go supernova on somebody. I don't know who that is yet, and it might be South Carolina. He's going to go supernova because when he is hitting those 50-yard pass plays, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He is awesome. The question then becomes, hey, when we need to get and really work the intermediate stuff, how accurate can you be? How well can you throw those passes that we need you to throw? And that's still TBD. And, and looking at some of his numbers through four games this season, again, they played Virginia in week number one. Not a great team. They played Austin P. obviously an FCS team. Lost to Florida and then this past weekend handled UTSA, uh, you know, as, as you would expect them to. But his numbers this season, he's only completed 34% of his passes past 11 yards. A third of his passes that he's attempted have come behind the line of scrimmage. And when we talk about Josh Heupel's explosive offense, you think about those big plays down the field, which again is what Hendon Hooker was really good at. They don't seem to have the same confidence in Joe Milton to be able to make some of those plays. But I thought he could throw the ball 80 yards. Uh, He can throw the ball, but if you're not throwing it accurately to where your receiver can catch it, it's not worth much. Tennessee. So South Carolina ranks first in or third in the SEC in passes of 10 plus yards. Vanderbilt who has played one more game and Georgia rank ahead of them. Passes of 20 plus yards South Carolina is tied for fourth with 19. Tennessee is last in the SEC in pass plays of 9 plus or 20 plus yards. Last. They haven't really played anybody either. Virginia I'm, this is not, do not clip this and be like, oh, he doesn't think Tennessee's good. I don't know if Tennessee is or if, I don't know if Tennessee isn't. Sure. But when you look at their schedule, South Carolina's played North Carolina, which I don't believe has lost a game yet. No, they've not. They've played Georgia, and they've played Mississippi State. Georgia is going to be a playoff contender. Mississippi State's a very, I would say, middle of the road to potentially missing a bowl SEC team. Sure. Depending on how they improve. Tennessee has played Virginia, arguably the worst Power 5 team out there. Pretty bad. Austin P and, and struggled with Austin P. played with their food a little bit. Yep. Went down to Gainesville and lost by two scores. And then played a UTSA team without Frank Harris. Mm-hmm. There's just not a sample size there of good on good. South Carolina, you have a sample size of good on good. Sure. You just don't have that the same way with Tennessee. And We'll see. This is Tennessee's probably toughest, second toughest test. Florida going theirs up there, but they just they haven't been tested, and this is the first real home test for the Vols, and they do get it at home, which helps them. But um, I think South Carolina's going to be able to put up points against this Tennessee team because uh, Tennessee ranks. If I'm looking at it now, again they haven't played anybody, but teams have only had six pass plays of twenty plus yards against them. But they've South Carolina's shown the ability to do that. So 
it's a real test because you just don't know what Tennessee is, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's hard to figure out. And, and look, I thought they were going to go into the swamp and, and beat Florida pretty handily, and that certainly didn't end up happening. Florida ran for a ton of yards against them, so mm-hmm. that's one of the formulas to being able to beat that team. Uh, one other thing that, that Joe Milton has proven not to be great at, and I heard this stat yesterday, he's not thrown a single touchdown pass on the move. So for him to throw a touchdown pass, he needs to be positioned in that pocket, feeling comfortable. That's, again, one thing that Hendon Hooker was really good at was kind of making things happen on the fly, being able to flush the pocket and still making big plays downfield, including touchdowns. Joe Milton, again, not good at that, which, again, is something that the Josh Heupel offense does rely a lot on. And, and again, to this point, Joe Milton hasn't proven the ability to be that kind of guy yet. No, he is not. Um I don't know if this this system is so quarterback dependent. Like you have to have a good quarterback that understands how to run this offense to be. This offense is good enough to get you to six, seven wins just based on that. Right. But a good elite quarterback for that offense gets you to eleven and two, gets you to an orange bowl, like you saw last year. I don't know if Joe Milton is that yet. There are certainly flaws in his game. Uh, Joe Milton on deep balls this year thumbs up he's he's actually seven of 27 not a great completion percentage but three touchdowns one interception seven big time throws Mm -hmm. thumbs up joe milton on passes 10 to 19 yards downfield 10 of 24 averaging 5.5 yards per attempt no big time throws in that aspect um just not a lot of trust in him to go deep and when he does he's not completing them at a high rate now those are those lower percentage throws always but spencer rattler has a better completion percentage when it comes to the deep ball rattler i mean rattler's playing from a numbers perspective better than joe milton is right now sure um rattler's completing 60 percent of his deep balls and 50 percent of the balls 10 to 19 yards downfield with four touchdowns to one interception. It's pretty good. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what each can do against another SEC defense that has some shown, both defenses have shown flashes so far. Right. And that game coming up Saturday night, 7.30, which you can, of course, listen to right here on the game. Terry and I will be doing Gamecocks game day at 2.30, live out O'Hara's out there in Lexington. We're also going to be having another watch party come Saturday night, again, at 7.30, for the game, which you can listen to right here on the game. Uh, don't look now. Basketball right around the corner. The Gamecocks getting back to the hardwood yesterday. Colin will give us some insight on that. As in the bonus rolls on uh, here on a Tuesday, he's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on the game. Welcome back in in the bonus. He is Colin Taylor, Tyler Head here on a Tuesday morning, September the 26th. It's so funny this time of year. We get kind of locked in on football, you know, college and pro football kind of dominating the headlines. When it comes to sports, obviously you have Major League Baseball still going on. Postseason gets rolling next week, which kind of, like, September's very weird. If your team, like, isn't in, like, a pennant race, like, I don't want to say you lose interest, but you're not as, like, zoned in as maybe you normally would be. Like, the Braves have had the East locked up for a while now. So it's like, okay, well, these games are pretty inconsequential, and, you know, you refocus once the... Okay, cool. Can can the Braves not take the next three games seriously? That would be awesome. 
my point <laughs> is you refocus once the postseason yep. finally gets here and say, like, okay, now these games matter again. And the uh, Cubs are obviously in a little bit different situation when it comes to the um, to the Central. But but it's funny because again, football kind of dominates everything. During one of the breaks, I got like an alert from ESPN about hockey, and I was like, there's no way hockey's already started back. Now it's the preseason, but still. Like, I feel like the Stanley Cup finals were, like, two weeks ago. Hockey's one of those ones where it's, like, it just, it pops up. The The off season is so short that, like, baseball's off season is relatively short. Like, the season ends in October and you're back in February with pitchers and catchers reporting. Major or uh, uh, NBA feels like it never ends because you have summer league as well. Yeah, you have, like, and then free agency and then mini camp, like, the NFL also does a good job of having it's the shortest I think regular season, but they stage something every single month. Oh yeah, they in the stagger season. It. So you you're never without NFL for too long. Right. So and that's something but yes. The longest off season. Ooh, what do we think the longest off season is or feels like? Oh. Um is it college football? Probably college football cuz you don't have like the draft, you don't have preseason games, you don't have those intermittent things throughout the offseason like the NFL does. And right. Obviously, college football wraps up in early January as opposed to early February like the and, NFL does. Right, and then you don't report back for training camp. You get spring ball for a little bit, but... Sure. Okay, and you don't report back until, you know, what, August? So Right. It's weird. It is. Respect. Uh, I bring all this up because basketball... Right around the corner. Yes. They just got back to the hardwood for official practices yesterday. Uh, I, I don't want to ask. Do we know what the day counter is until John Rossi would tell us. I think it's like six weeks until wow. the opening week. Man, yeah, that's fast. Yes, it comes quick. It comes very, very quick. Personally, I wish college basketball started a little bit later. I feel like you can do without some of these non-conference games in the first two months of the season. You I know, wish, yeah. Maybe you limit it to, like, like starting early December, right, as, like, you know, conference championship games are happening where you get that slow couple of weeks before mm-hmm. bowl games really kick into gear. Like, yeah. I feel like that would be prime time for college basketball to start. Yeah, like, I'm a big fan of having college basketball start because I am I love college basketball. Uh, have that start, like, Thanksgiving week. Mm-hmm. You ha- you're off. You get to binge watch college football, college basketball, and then... December kicks and you're there just through all of December playing those games and that would be a lot of fun. Right. And do that. But we're starting November and South Carolina practice numero uno yesterday um, for the Gamecocks coming back for year two under Lamont Paris. Yeah, uh, obviously some big improvements hoping to be made this year, bringing a ton of different guys from the transfer portal, um, which, I mean, that's just kind of what you have to do, especially in college basketball right now, which I suppose football, you can have a much quicker roster turnaround because obviously you're dealing with less bodies overall, but, you know, bringing in some of the talent that they have had, some guys that we've actually been able to have in here for the Garnet Trust Hour, like like Miles Studi, um, who knows about playing in the SEC, obviously had a lot of success at Vanderbilt, uh, hoping to be a key part of this team as well as the addition, or as well as the guys that have already been established here, like your Michi Johnsons. Um, to hopefully, hopefully put together a better season than last year. Yeah, and on paper they got better. I don't think that that's an argument. On paper they look better. 
they're more talented. They're more skilled. They have a really talented freshman crop coming in, like really talented freshman class, an impact class. The question becomes, because the league is so good, because the SEC is so good, how big of a jump can you take from year one to year two? Arkansas is always good. Alabama is always good. Florida got better. All of these teams are trying to get better. What does that look like? You're older, you're more experienced, but when you're playing against, you know, Elite Eight, Sweet 16 caliber teams, can you compete top to bottom against them? And they're old enough to. Uh, now's the question of can you scheme up some stuff? Can you make enough shots? Can you can you be better defensively? That's my one biggest question mark right now as the defense. Right. Um, they got a lot better offensively. We just haven't seen it defensively yet. Um, and it's hard to put numbers to it, but there's a lot of reason for optimism. And I said that about baseball last year, and look what baseball did. That's right. Uh, right. But there's a lot of reasons for optimism around this this program, and we'll see what that looks like as you move forward into October and into November and, and get this, this season cranked up. Yeah, and obviously Lamont Paris now having one full year under his belt coaching the SEC, you know, knowing kind of now what it truly takes to compete in on a night-in, night-out basis with the likes of Tennessee, the likes of Alabama, teams like that, which they obviously went toe-to-toe with Alabama in that thrilling game here last year, but uh, a better sense of what you need to be successful in the SEC this year. Yeah, and last year was a learning curve for a lot of things. So if he can take what he learned, take this roster that they feel really good about, um, you got a chance to win some games, and you have a lot of, Good games early to kind of get the feeling out process, but right. um, we'll see what that looks like. Absolutely. Basketball, basketball will be here before we know it. That'll do it for today's edition of In the Bonus. Coming up next, Garnet Trust Hour with uh, Karima Davis from South Carolina Track. Myself and Wes Mitchell, that's coming up here on The Game.